Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone Chapter 1 The Boy Who Lived Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of Number 4 Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. They were the last people you would expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold such nonsense. Mr. Dursley was the director of a firm called Brunner, which made drills. He was a big, beefy man with hardly any neck, although he did have a very large mustache. Mrs. Dursley was a thin blonde and had nearly twice the usual amount of neck which came in very useful as she spent so much of her time climbing over garden fences and spying on neighbors. The Dursleys had a small son called Dudley, and in their opinion, there was no finer boy anywhere. The Dursleys had everything they wanted, but they also had a secret, and their greatest fear was that somebody would discover it. They didn't think they could bear it, anyone found out about the Potters. Mrs. Potter was Mrs. Dursley's sister, but they hadn't met for several years. In fact, Mrs. Dursley pretended she didn't have a sister because her sister and her good-for-nothing husband were as, as un-Dursley-ish as it was possible to be. The Dursleys shuddered to think what the neighbors would say if the Potters arrived on the scene. The Dursleys knew the Potters had a small son, too, but they had never seen him. The boy was another good reason for keeping the Potters away. They didn't want Dudley mixing with a child like that. When Mr. and Mrs. Dursley woke up on a dull, gray Tuesday, our story starts. There was nothing about the cloudy sky outside to suggest that mysterious things would soon be happening all over the country. Mr. Dursley hummed as he picked out his most boring tie for work, and Mrs. Dursley gossiped away happily as she rustled a screaming Dudley into his high chair. None of them noticed a large tawny owl flutter past the window. At half past eight, Mr. Dursley picked up his briefcase, tapped Mrs. Dursley on the cheek, and tried to kiss Dudley goodbye, but missed, because Dudley was now having a tantrum, throwing his cereal at the wall. Little toys, chortled Mr. Mr. Dursley as he left the house. He got into his car and backed out of number four's drive. It was on the corner of the street that he noticed the first sign of something peculiar. A cat reading a map. Mr. Dursley didn't realize what he had seen. He jerked his head around to look around. There was a tabby cat sitting on the corner of Turret Drop, but there wasn't a map in sight. What could he have been thinking of? It must have been a trick of the light. Mr. Dursley grinned and stared at the cat. It stared back. As Mr. Dursley drove around the corner and up the road, he watched the cat looking in his mirror. It was now reading the sign that said, Turret Drive, no. Looking at the sign, cats couldn't read maps or signs. 
Mr. Dursley gave himself a little shake and took the cat out of his mind. As he drove toward the town, he thought of nothing except a large order of drills that he was hoping to get that day. But on the edge of town, the drills were driven out of his mind by something else. As he sat in the usual morning traffic jam, he couldn't help noticing that there seemed to be a lot of strangely dressed people about, people in cloaks. Then Mr. Dursley couldn't bear people who dressed in funny cloaks. But get up, he saw, on young people. He supposed that this was some stupid new fashion. He drummed his fingers on the steering wheel, and his eyes fell on a huddle of these weirdos, standing quite close by. They were whispering excitedly together. Mr. Dursley was enraged to see that a couple of them weren't young at all. Why, that man had to be older than he was, and he was wearing an emerald green cloak. The nerve of him. But then it struck Mr. Dursley that this was probably some silly stunt. These people were obviously collecting for something. Yes, that would be it. The traffic moved on, and a few minutes later, Mr. Dursley arrived in the Gwennings parking lot, his mind back on drills. Mr. Dursley sat with his back to the window in his office on the ninth floor. If he hadn't, he might have found it harder to concentrate on drills that morning. He didn't see the owls swooping past in broad daylight, though people down in the street did. They pointed and gazed open-mouthed as owl after owl sped overhead. Most of them had never seen an owl, even at night time. Mr. Dursley, however, had a perfectly normal owl-free morning. He yelled at five different people, and he made several different he made several important telephone calls, thought he'd stretch his legs and walk across the road to buy himself a bun from the bakery. He forgot all about the people in cloaks as he passed until he passed a group of them next to the baker. He eyed them angrily as he passed. He didn't know why, but they made him uneasy. This bunch were whispering excitedly too, and he couldn't see a single collecting tin. It was on his way back past them, clutching a large donut in a bag, where he caught a few words of what they were saying. The Potters, that's right, that's what I heard. Yes, their son Harry. Mr. Dursley stopped dead. Fear flooded him. He looked back at the whispers as if he wanted to say something to them, but thought better of it. He dashed back across the road, hurried up to his office, snapped at his secretary not to disturb him, seized his telephone, and had almost finished dialing his home number. When he changed his mind, he put the receiver back down and stroked his mustache, thinking, no, he was being stupid. Potter was such an unusual name. He was sure there were a lot of people called Potter, and who had a son called Harry. Come to think of it, he wasn't even sure his, son, his nephew was called Harry. He'd never even seen the boy. It might have been Harvey or Harold. There was no point in worrying Mr. Mrs. Dursley. She always got so upset at any mention of her sister. He didn't blame her. If he'd had a sister like that. But all the same, those people in clothes. He found it a lot harder to concentrate on drills that 
balcony. And when he went left, and when he left the building at five o'clock, he was still so worried that he walked straight into someone just outside the door. Sorry, he grunted, as the tiny old man stumbled and almost fell. It was a second. It was a few seconds before Mr. Dursley realized that the man was wearing a violet cloak. He didn't seem at all upset at being almost knocked to the ground. On the contrary, his face looked split into a wide smile, and he said in a squeaky voice that the made that made a passerby stare, "Don't be sorry, dear sir, for nothing could be upset me today. Rejoice, for he know you have gone at last. Even mortals like you should be celebrating this happy, happy day." And the and the old man hugged Mr. Dursley around the middle and walked off. Mr. Dursley stood rooted on the spot. He had been hugged by a complete stranger. He also thought he had been called a muggle, whatever that was. He was rattled. He hurried to his car and set off for home, hoping that he was imagining things, which he had never hoped before, because he didn't approve of imagination. As he pulled into the driveway of number four, the first thing he saw, and that didn't, and it didn't improve his mood, was the tabby cat he spotted the morning. It was now sitting on his garden wall. He was sure it was the same one. It has the same markings around its eyes. Shoo! said Mr. Dursley loudly. The cat didn't move. It just gave him a stern look. Was this normal cat behavior? Mr. Dursley wondered. Trying to pull himself together, he let himself into the house. He was still determined not to mention anything to his wife. Mrs. Dursley had had a nice normal day. She told him all over dinner, all about Mrs. Nextdoor's problems with her jar, and how Dudley had learned a new word, won't. Mr. Dursley tried to act normally. When Dudley had been put to bed, he went into the living room to mourn the last report on the evening news. And finally, Great watchers everywhere have reported that the nation's owls have been behaving very unusually today. Although owls usually no normally hunt at night, they are hardly and are hardly ever seen in daylight. There have been hundreds of sightings of these birds flying in every direction since sunrise. Experts are unable to explain why the owls have suddenly changed their sleeping pattern. The newscaster allowed himself a dream, and most mysterious, and now. His call over to Jem McGuffin would deliver them. Going to be any more showers of owls tonight, Jim? Well, Ted, said the weatherman, I don't know about that. But it's not only the owls that have been acting oddly today. The earth, as far apart as Kent, Yorkshire, and Dundee, have been phoning in to tell me that instead of rain, as promised yesterday, they've had a downpour of shooting stars. Perhaps people have been celebrating bonfire night early. It's not until next week, folks, but I can promise a wet night today. Mr. Dursley sat frozen in his armchair. Shooting stars all over Britain, owls flying by daylight, mysterious people in cloaks all over the place, and a whisper, a whisper about the potters. Mrs. Dursley came into the living room, carrying two cups of tea. There was no good. Miss Heed has to say something to this, she cleared her throat 
as though it had been broken twice at least. This man's name was Albus Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore didn't seem to realize that he had just arrived in a street where everything from his name to his boots was unwelcome. He was busy rummaging in his cloak looking for something, but then he did seem to realize he was being watched because he looked up suddenly at a cat which was still staring at him from the other end of the street. For some reason, the sight of the cat seemed to amuse him. He chuckled and muttered, I should have known. He found what he was looking for inside his pocket, which seemed to be a silver cigarette lighter. He flipped it open and held it up in the air and clicked it. The nearest street lamp went out with a little pop. He clicked it again. The next lamp flickered into darkness. Twelve times he clicked the foot outer, until only the lights left in the whole street were the two tiny pinpricks in the distance, which were the eyes of the cat watching him. If anybody looked out of the window now, even beady-eyed Mrs. Dursley, they wouldn't be able to see anything that was happening down on the pavement. Mr. Dursley, Dumbledore slipped the foot outer back inside his cloak and set off down the street toward number four, where he, strat, where he sat down on the wall next to the cat. He didn't look at it, but after a moment, he spoke to it. Fancy seeing you here, Professor McGonagall. He turned to smile at the tabby, but it had gone. Instead, he was, trying, he was smiling at a rather severe-looking woman who was wearing square glasses, exactly the shape of the markings the cat had around its eyes. She, too, was wearing a long cloak an emerald one. Her black hair was drawn into a tight bun. She looked distantly ruffled. How did you know it was me? he asked. My dear professor, I've never seen a cat sit so stiffly. You'd be stiff if you'd been sitting on a brick wall all day, said Professor McGonagall. All day? But when could you have been celebrating? I must have passed a dozen feasts and parties on my way here. Mrs. Pugna, Professor McGonagall sniffed angrily. Oh, yes, everybody's celebrating all right, she said impatiently. You'd think they'd be a bit more careful, but no. Even the muggles have noticed there's something going on. It was on their news. She jerked her head back at the Dursley's dark living room. I heard it. Flocks of owls, shooting stars. Well, they're not completely stupid. They're bound to notice something. Shooting stars down in Kent. I bet that was Dolores Diggle. He never had much sense in him. You can't blame them, said Dumbledore gently. You had precious little time to celebrate for eleven years. I know that, said Professor McGonagall irritably. But that's no reason to lose our heads. People are being downright careless out in the streets, in broad daylight, not even dressed in muggle clothes, dropping rumors. He threw a sharp, sideways glance at Dumbledore here, as though hoping he was going to tell her something, but he didn't. So she went on. It's a fine thing it would be if on the very day you know who seems to have disappeared at last, the muggles found out about us all. I suppose he really has gone, Dumbledore? It certainly seems so, said Dumbledore. We'd have to be much we'd have to be thankful for. Would you care for a lemon drop? A what? A lemon drop. They're a kind of muggle sweet I'm rather fond of. 
Oh no, thank you, said Professor McGonagall coldly, as though she didn't think that this was the right moment for Lemon Girl. As I say, even if you know who has gone, my dear professor, surely a sensible person like you can call him by his name. All this, you know, nonsense for 11 years. I've been trying to persuade people to call him by his proper name, Voldemort. Professor McGonagall flinched, but Dumbledore rose to go. Two lemon drops seemed not to notice. It gets all so confusing if you keep saying you know who. I have never seen any reason to be frightened of saying Voldemort's name. I know you haven't, said Professor McGonagall, sounding half exasperating, half admiring. But you're different. Everyone knows. You're the only one you know who... All right. Voldemort was frightened, though. You flatter me, said Dumbledore calm, calmly. Voldemort had powers I will never have, only because you're, well, too, well, noble to use them. Luckiest child. I haven't brushed so much since Madame Pomfrey told me she liked my new earmuffs. Professor McGonagall shot a sharp look at Dumbledore and said, Owls are nothing next to the rumors that are flying around. You know what everything, you know what everyone's saying about why he's disappeared? What, why, well, what finally stopped him? It seemed that Professor McGonagall had reached the point. He was most discussed and most anxious to discuss the real reason she had been waiting on a cold hard road for all day. Neither, for neither as a cat nor as a woman had she seen Dumbledore with such a piercing stare as she did now. It was plain that whatever everyone was saying, she was not going to believe it until Dumbledore told her it was true. Dumbledore, however, was squeezing another lumber drop and did not answer. What they're saying, he pressed on, is that last night Voldemort turned up in Godric's Hollow. He went to find a potter. The rumor is that Lily and James Potter are, are that they're dead. Dumbledore bowed his head. Professor McGonagall gasped. Lily and James? I can't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. Oh, Dum oh, Albus. Dumbledore reached out and patted her on the shoulder. I know, I know, he said heavily. Professor McGonagall's was tumbled as he went on. But that's not all they're saying. They're saying he tried to kill the potter's son, Harry. But he couldn't. He couldn't kill that little boy. No one knows why or how, but they're saying that he couldn't kill Harry Potter. Voldemort's power somehow stripped it. And that's why he's gone. The Muldor nodded grimly. It's, it's true, faltered Professor McGonagall. After all he's done, after all the people he's killed, he couldn't kill a little boy? It's just astounding of all things to stop him. But how in the name of heaven did Harry survive? We can only guess, said Dumbledore. We may never know. Professor McGonagall pulled out a lace handkerchief, dabbed her eyes beneath her spectacles, and Dumbledore gave a great sniff as he took a golden watch from his pocket and examined it. It was a very odd watch. It had twelve hands, but no numbers. 
Instead, it had little plants moving around the edge. It must have made sense to Dumbledore, though, because he put it back in his pocket and said, Hagrid's late. I suppose it was he who told you I'd be here, by the way? Yes, said Professor McGonagall. And I don't suppose you're going to tell me why you're here of all places? I've come to bring Harry to his aunt and uncle. They're the only family he has left now. You, you don't mean, you can't mean these people who live here? cried Professor McGonagall, jumping to her feet and pointing at number four. Dumbledore, you can't. I've been watching them all day. I can find two people who are less like us. And they've got the son. I saw him taking his mother all the way up the street, screaming for sweets. Harry Potter, come and live here. It's the best place for him, said Dumbledore firmly. His aunt and uncle will be able to explain to him everything when he's older. I've written them a letter. A letter? repeated Professor McGonagall faintly sitting back down on the wall. Really, Dumbledore, you think you can explain all of this in a letter? These people will number these people will never understand him. He'll be famous, a legend. I wouldn't surprise I wouldn't be surprised if today was known as Harry Potter Day in the future. There'll be books written about Harry. Every child in the world will know his name. Exactly, said Dumbledore, looking very seriously above the top half over the top of his of his half moon glasses. It wouldn't be enough it would be enough to turn any boy's head. Famous before he can walk and talk, famous for something he won't even remember. Can't you see how much better off he'll be growing up away from all that until he's ready to take it? Professor McGonagall opened her mouth, changed her mind, swallowed and said Yes. Yes, you're right, of course. But how is the boy sitting there, Dumbledore? He eyed his cloak suddenly as though he thought that he might be hiding, hiding Harry underneath it. Hagrid's bringing him. You think it wise to trust Hagrid with something as important as this? I would trust Hagrid with my life. I'm not saying that his heart isn't in the right place, said Professor McDonald accordingly. He can't pretend he's not careless. He does tend to... What was that? A low rumbling sound had broken through the silence around them. It grew steadily louder as they looked up and down the street for some sign of headlights. It swelled into a roar as they both looked up into the sky. And a huge motorcycle fell out of the air and landed on the road in front of them. If the motorcycle was huge, there was nothing to the man sitting astride it. He was almost twice as tall as a normal man and an elite five times wide. He looked simply too big to be allowed so wild. Long tangles of his bushy black hair and beard hid most of his face. He had in his hands his hand he had hands the size the size of his trash can lids and his feet were and his feet in their leather boots were like baby dolphins. And his vast Muscular arms, he was holding a bundle of blankets. Hagrid, said Dumbledore, standing relieved. At last, where did you get that motorcycle? Borrowed it, Professor, Mo Professor Dumbledore, sir, said the giant, climbing carefully off the motorcycle as he spoke. 
Your serious luck lent it to me. I've got some, sir. No problems, were there? No, sir. The house was almost destroyed, but I got him out all right before the muggles started swarming around. He fell asleep. Under the, he fell fast asleep. As we were flying over Bristol, Professor Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall bent forward over the bundle of blankets. Inside, just visible, was a baby boy, fast asleep. Under a tuft of jet black lightning hair over his forehead, they could see a fearfully shaped cut, like a bolt of lightning. Is that where? whispered Professor McGonagall. Yes, said Dumbledore. We'll have that far forever. Something about it, Dumbledore? Even if I could, I wouldn't. Bars can come in handy. I have one myself in my above my left knee. It's a perfect ma map of the London Underground. Well, give him here, Hagrid. We'd better get this over with. Dumbledore took Harry in his arms and turned over to the Dursleys. Could I could I say goodbye to him, sir? said Hagrid. He bent his great shaggy head over Harry and gave him what must have been a very flashy, whispery kiss. And suddenly, Hagrid let out a howl like a wounded dog. Shh, hissed Professor McGonagall. We'll wake the muggles. Sorry, sobbed Hagrid, taking out large spotted handkerchief and burying his face in it. But I c can't stand it. Lily and James dead and... heels and with a swish 
was close to his bunk. A breeze ruffled the neat edges of Trevor's drive, placed sound and untidy under the inky slides. The very last place you would expect astonishing things to happen. Harry Potter rolled over his in his blanket without waking up. One small hand closed on the letter beside him as he slept. Not knowing he was special, not knowing he was famous, not knowing he would be woken in a few hours' time by Mrs. Dursley's scream as she opened the front door to put out the milk bottles, nor that he would spend the next few weeks being prodded and pinched by his cousin Dudley, even now that at this very moment, people meeting in secret all over the country were holding up their glasses and singing hushed voices to Harry Potter, the boy who lived.